Hey, hey, what's going on? This is TJ Murphy, and welcome to another episode of Adventurous Entrepreneurs. My guest today is Eric Recker. Eric has worn a lot of hats as a husband, father, dentist, elite success coach, pilot, speaker, author, mountain climber, and triathlete. He has pushed his life to the limit and discovered that what he was searching for wasn't at the top of the mountain. Today, in addition to running a thriving dental practice he loves, Eric is committed to helping people learn how to win the now and discover the life they were meant to live through his talks and coaching. As a speaker, he offers stories and strategies that equip people to live with hope, to have a plan, and believe that good days are ahead. Just a few of the golden takeaways Eric shares in this episode are lessons learned from climbing Mount Kilimanjaro, the difference between achievement and fulfillment, how to avoid burnout, and what it means to truly win the now. So without further ado, this is me and Eric Recker. Welcome to the Adventurous Entrepreneurs Podcast. I'm your host, TJ Murphy. Since quitting my corporate nine to five and starting a business while backpacking through Asia back in early 2017, I've had the privilege of learning from some incredibly adventurous entrepreneurs. Through these conversations and my own journey, I've learned that much like in life, entrepreneurship is an adventure. On this podcast, I explore the journeys of top performing leaders in their fields. These wide ranging conversations include tactical business advice, how I built this insights, lessons in leadership, life hacks, travel stories, favorite hobbies, and insights into living a purposeful and joy-filled life. Adventures await us, so let's dive in. Hey, hey, Eric, welcome to Adventurous Entrepreneurs. DJ, I'm super excited to be here. This is going to be a great conversation. Oh, likewise, man. I'm really, really pumped for it. And as I was doing research for this episode, I came across a lot of quotes of yours that made me say, I want to have that man on my podcast. And they were all quotes about winning the now, believing that good days are ahead and other things that just really resonated with the optimist and positive guy that I've strived to be. And one of them was in a sea of distraction and burnout, there is hope, hope for a future where we live fully present and thrive. And that I just loved. So I'd love it if you could give a little bit of context to kick things off into what when the now means to you and why you've adopted that as one of your taglines in life. Yeah. I mean, if you have three hours, I can tell the whole story. So <laughs> hey, give, give us as much or as little as you want. We got time. Yeah. So I have to go back a little bit. So I've actually been a practicing dentist for uh, 21 years, just had the year anniversary a couple of weeks ago. And I went through a couple pretty strong seasons of burnout in my career. I didn't really sign up to be a business owner. I definitely signed up to be a dentist, but we don't get a lot of business training in dental school. And so by the time I found myself leading a team of 18 people, all of which were women, and trying to get through a full schedule and manage a business and do all of those kind of things, I got burnout. So I actually got so burnt out to the point that I had planned to sell my dental practice and walk away. I didn't really know what I was going to do with myself, but I knew I couldn't keep going the way that I was. And it really kind of hit its peak in March of 2020, which some other things hit their peak in yes, March of 2020 as well. <laughs> so my family and I were going to go on this really cool vacation to uh, Spain. We were going to stay right on the Mediterranean Sea and we were going to take a day trip to Tangiers to see 
where the James Bond filming was done. And we were super excited about that. And all of that came to a halt. My dental practice was closed. And I had something I hadn't had in years, and that was discretionary time. So I made a, I guess, a commitment to do something I'd never done before. I was going to spend 30 minutes of quiet every single day. Hmm. So the goal was 30 minutes of undistracted quiet. The first day, I think I looked at my watch 43 seconds into it. I would have uh, I'm not same. somebody who's, <laughs> yeah, as we were talking before, I'm not somebody who sits still very, very easily. I like to be moving and doing things. In the process of that, I knew that I kind of needed to reinvent myself. So I started doing a lot of journaling, just whatever came to my mind during that, that time of quiet. And I found out that one of the things I was missing in my life is I was not living present in my own life. So I was spending a lot of time being uh, worried about the future or being stuck in the past. Mm -hmm. And so when we have those two things, which I think a lot of people do, we miss out on the most guaranteed thing that we have in our lives. And that's what's right before us, the now. And so I started doing some more journaling, started writing, actually ended up uh, writing a book uh, about, because I don't know about you, TJ, but during uh, COVID, my head was just spinning like crazy. Same. What are we going to do? What's next? And so I said, how do we counteract this urgency? How do, what is the solution to that? And that's where the phrase win the now came from. So basically what win the now is, is it's the mindset of presence. So what we do is we take those moments in our lives and we figure out what does a win look like in this moment. So for this hour or however long we're on this podcast, a win is us providing value for your listeners. A win is us having a great conversation. A win is exchange of ideas. So the hope is that we have a whole bunch of that stuff in this hour. When I'm in my dental practice, it's broken down to more like 15 minute segments. That's how my day is scheduled. So I look at each of those segments and what does a win look like? Does a win look like a great interaction with a patient? Does a win look like a procedure that went really well? And in doing that, it always draws you back to the current time, to what's right in front of you. And so the nice thing about that is if you get a couple wins in a row, you get a win streak and that's yeah. momentum. And we all love momentum. But also if something doesn't go the way we had hoped it does, then we have another now that's right in front of us that we pick ourselves back up. And we try to start that win streak again. So it's really helped me not define my day based on one little thing that goes wrong, but more I'm constantly seeking how to win in my life and how to be present in my own, own life. I love this concept because, I mean, in business or just in life in general, we all have daily to-do lists. We have mountains of things that we think we can get done. We've got social media where we're comparing ourselves to other people's best. And if we can just focus on the moment and remind ourselves, all we got to do is win right here and now to build that momentum, everything else becomes so much easier. You, you literally can create that downhill momentum. And that's a reminder. I want to put that up right in front of me because I get caught up all the time in my week plan, my month long plan, my quarter, my year, my five year. And it's hard. It can be discouraging when you're constantly worried about, oh, I'm not quite hitting the mark to get to that goal. But really that goal is just stacking up a bunch of 
present moments winning each and every one and of course absolutely and what you said there those things are important those quarterly goals monthly goals all those things are important but they're not important constantly yeah it's those little habits those little things that we do in the now that help us work towards those things if a goal seems insurmountable which sometimes they do what can we do in this moment to get one step closer to that goal the whole one percent better thing the compounding of that so i really like it the people that i've uh, been able to do keynotes with to teach the concept my coaching clients that i've been able to work with it just is it's when we don't have any guardrails on our time it's so easy to pick up our phone and all of a sudden we're two hours into videos or go down that, well, we just looked at Facebook, but we better look at it again in case somebody else posted or Instagram or LinkedIn or whatever it is. Uh, We just have to be a little careful with that or we can get caught up in, in kind of the tyranny of the urgent. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And on the topic of insurmountable goals, you've summited some big mountains in your life, including Mount Kilimanjaro, which is a bucket list for me. What has climbing these peaks taught you about overcoming life's mountains? And can you just share that story about summoning Kilimanjaro with us? Because that that sounds insane. Yeah, it was it was such a cool experience. So I that I'm a storyteller. That's kind of what I do. You probably already know yeah. that after the few minutes we spent together. But one day in my dental office at lunch, I asked everybody to share their bucket list items. And I gave everybody a few minutes to kind of think on it. Some, it, I was amazed. The bucket list has always kind of been something I've kind of kept track of, kind of a list of things I'd like to do. And it turns out most of the people in my office hadn't done that. But anyway, we went around and I started and I shared that I would like to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. That was kind of number one on my list. I've always been a, somebody who's up for a challenge. I didn't know anything about the logistics of what that looked like, but I just wanted to do it. So I threw it out there. So everybody went around. It was a great time of sharing. It's, it's a great way in an office setting to get to know people, yeah, just to hear what what they're excited about. And then if you have any connections to help them make those things happen, it gets it gets really cool. So, all right, we get done with our meeting and I've seen my first patient for the afternoon. And then in the hall, one of my hygienists stops me and she said, hey, Dr. Eric, you wanted to climb Mount Kilimanjaro? And I said, yeah. And she said, well, that's interesting because at our church, we had a missions conference last week. And there's a guy named Kurt whose family has a mission that they run in Tanzania. And I said, oh, really? And Tanzania is where Mount Kilimanjaro is. Yep. And in six months, he is taking a team up Mount Kilimanjaro to raise money for the mission. (laughs) Oh, really? So through that, I I went home that night and I told my wife, I said, hey, I think I'm going to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. And I have the most supportive wife in the world. It's unbelievable. And so she said, okay, let me know more. And so that's kind of how it got started. And the really cool thing is there's a team of seven of us. And altogether, we were able to raise almost $65,000 for this school, phenomenal, which was amazing. 
And in the midst of that, what you can do in a foreign country as far as building, as far as what you can do with money is unbelievable. So they were able to build two classrooms. They were able to build an administrative room, uh, add some technology, a whole bunch of stuff. Wow. So that's kind of the story of how I got to climb there. But what was interesting at that point in my life is I was probably climbing the mountain just for the sake of climbing the mountain. Mm-hmm. So I don't Say know if you've you seen, it. yeah, I don't know if you've seen this in, in your life, TJ, but as we're doing things, as we're climbing mountains, as we're trying to accomplish all of these things, if we don't have a real reason for why we're doing it, then when we do it, we're just right on to the next thing. Yeah. So I hit Basically, what I learned from climbing Mount Kilimanjaro, a couple of really cool lessons. One of those is if you don't know why you're climbing the mountain, you're not going to find the answer at the top. Which was really crazy, which was a really crazy realization to me. And part of the reason that I I don't do quite as much of that stuff as I used to, Mm -hmm. because I have a whole box full of triathlon medals. I have a whole box full of finisher medals from different things I've done. And really what it amounted to was a ridiculous amount of time commitment that pulled me away from a lot of different things that I could have been doing with my family. Not that those things were, not that these pursuits are bad, but I was climbing the mountain just to climb the mountain. Now, in this case, we raised a whole bunch of money and that was amazing, but I felt like I was just climbing the mountain for the sake of climbing the mountain. And when I did that, I would kind of eventually get to be, I don't know if you saw the Netflix documentary about the guy who climbed the 14 peaks and- Oh, I did. I was amazing. I loved that. Do you remember what he said when he got done? No, not off the top of my head. So they asked him, they said, what's next? And he said, bigger, better, I'm on to more. And I thought, dude, what's more than what you've already done? Yeah. So I think we have to have that guardrail on a little bit. I think we have to, achievement is great, but if all we're doing is achievement for the sake of achievement, at some point we're going to burn out. Absolutely. There has to be fulfillment at the end of it, right? I think something I've just come to realize from talking to people who by all means are seemingly more, far more successful than I am. Bigger bank accounts, nice cars, lavish lifestyles, massive businesses, all the things that society would typically define as successful. But what I've seen time and time again is that doesn't automatically translate to fulfillment. You know, people build these massive businesses and just like climbing the mountain, there's no reason at the end, they're still unhappy. They're still not living that purposeful, fulfilled life. I'm curious for you, because you work with a lot of people who probably have a similar experience. Can you share how you look at that? And more specifically, how you help people to get clear on what is important, why it's important, and how they can make a plan to move forward towards a path of fulfillment in whatever pursuit whatever journey they're on. Yeah, I think I think what's really interesting and and where I I maybe have a perspective to be able to do this is I had I had the courage to step away a little bit from from my regular job. So, yeah. when I was about when I was about ready to walk away, I had an associate that worked for me that was going to buy my practice. 
And we were about two months away from the practice broker coming to figure out that deal with us. And then he was in a horrible car accident. And so through a series of events, uh, we just decided that it wasn't going to be a good fit anymore. And so moving forward, I was, that's when I had yet another round of burnout because I was stuck in the situation. What in the heck am I going to do? So we have a practice that's very much a three dentist practice and it had shrunk to two dentists. And so it's one of those things that I was looking for a workaround. I just wanted to go around it and get to the other side. I just wanted to, what, what's the shortcut here? I just want to feel better because this is, I hate this. But the reality is, is I had to go through it. I had to figure out the steps that had to, that were going to happen to go through it. And so I did that. And while I was figuring that out, I also took some time to figure out what I wanted to do. And I love being a dentist. I really do. But the thing I love about it is the relationships. I love being in relationships with my patients. The fact that I've been seeing some of them for over 20 years is awesome. I've shared a lot of life with them from little kids when they start at three years old. I see some of those. Now some of them have graduated from high school, gotten married, having kids. And I see all of those stages, which is really great. And so I thought, what else can I do so that I can find a life balance where I'm still doing dentistry, but I'm also doing some other things that that bring me joy. So I started looking into coaching and speaking. And uh, around the same time, I found uh, I put a search out to try to look for a partner because I knew that if I would have just sold and walked away, that would have been the biggest mistake that I could have made because I didn't really have a plan for after that. So now I have a partner and when, so I've sold half of my practice to him, we're equal 50-50 partners. And what I told him before we started is, hey, here's the thing, I'm, I wanna keep doing this for a long time, but I can't keep doing it at the same pace. So what I've done at this point now is I see patients in my office three days a week, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and then on Thursdays and Fridays, I work on my coaching and speaking and content creation and writing and, and the other things that I do that, that make my heart happy. So I'm someone who, who took the courage to take that step. And most people aren't willing or don't know how to take that step. So what I like to do is meet with people who are stuck, help them figure out a plan to say, what is it that you really want out of life? Because the old way of, I guess, my parents' generation, maybe your parents' generation, a lot of people would get done with high school or get done with college. They'd start a job. They'd work that job for their entire career, and then they'd retire and basically sit in a recliner, and that was what life kind of looked like. And I just think we were made for more than that, and I think that if I can help somebody come along and figure out the life that they want to live and help them figure out the steps to get to that point, then they're more likely to have hope and they're more likely to believe that good days are ahead other than just getting stuck in a rut and feeling that this is the best that life can get because I don't know what else to do. Yeah, and I commend you for taking that. I mean, you had a successful practice. Like you said, you enjoyed working with your patients, but you had burned yourself out several times. So being able to take that step back and find the path to the fulfillment that you were seeking 
ultimately being able to help even more people while still maintaining the passion that you had for dentistry. That's the dream right there. So I'm curious with the coaching side of things, that's a big focus for you now. Who are the type of people that that you're able to help the best or who are you, you know, working with right now that could be a good fit too? Yeah, I feel like wow. the people that that I seem to relate to best are uh, people that I would consider high achievers. Yeah, uh, people who have worked really hard to get where they're at. I mean, most people don't get to you know to be a business owner, to be uh, an executive or a manager. People, you don't usually get to those type of positions without working hard. But there has to be a point. Life is not all about climbing, 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 and the next promotion and the next. I, I work with people who are disillusioned in that somewhere along that pathway all the time. Yeah. And so those are the kind of people that I like to work with. I work with people who are stuck. Uh, I work with people who want more fulfillment in their life. Uh, I work with people who quite honestly have seen what I do, what the journey that I'm on, and they wonder if maybe they have a similar journey. It sounds like you you've been in that camp, like you've been a high achiever, most high achievers, whether that's in business, sports, school, like they have that feeling that need to be the best and you've been quite successful. So I have a feeling that that probably holds true to you. You've been a winning triathlete, successful dentist, dental practice, a great student. Would you say you subscribed or do still subscribe to that camp camp of like wanting to be the best? And how has that mentality played out for you in your life? Yeah. Yeah. So I I had so was on the receiving end of some bullying when I was in elementary school. And so, you know, I I wasn't the kind of person that was, you know, beat up and some people that had horrible bullying, but I feel like what I have is an everyday bullying story. So I get you know, push down on the way to school, they take my backpack, do that kind of stuff. I'd be the worst was being on the recess kickball playground. So when I was in second and third grade recess, kickball was life. <laughs> and being on that team was a big deal being on a team. Yeah. And I, I think yeah, and I think looking back, had I been picked, even if I'd been picked last, it wouldn't have been as big of a deal. But I remember their stand standing on the sidelines, not getting to play because I was told I couldn't play. I wasn't good enough. And so I made a pact with myself standing there in third grade on the side of the kickball field saying, I am going to be the best I can ever be at everything so that people will always pick me. And it really wasn't until a few years ago that I realized that I was still pushing myself as hard as I was for people who had moved on from me 35 years ago. And so that was really a turning point for me. Uh, and so, yeah, I still, I have to keep myself in check because if I hear of, if I hear of something that I can do or achieve, yeah, I'm, I might go after it. Um, but I'm getting a little bit better at counting the cost because everything we do has a cost. It has a cost in time. It has a cost in in opportunity. And so I just want to make sure that I'm making the right choices uh, moving forward with my life and then being able to help other people make the right choices in their life. So on that same vein, I mean, there must have been times throughout your business, throughout your athletic pursuits, where in that pursuit of being the best, you experienced 
failure. You didn't, didn't achieve being the best or you had setbacks along the way. How did you navigate those moments as someone that did prescribe as being such a high achiever and what lessons did you learn along the way? Yeah. So I, I don't like to lose. Yeah, no, I don't either. (laughs) I I don't know too. I'm guessing, and this is just a hunch that most of the people that are listening to your podcast don't like to lose very much. I I think it's a Uh, fair bet. Yeah. Yeah. We all, we all like a win. Uh, But yeah, I had a year that I had had a lot of success in triathlon and I had one that I was really banking on. And part of the, and I learned a very valuable lesson. We were in the swim and it's, it was kind of like, this was a a big triathlon, a lot of people starting at the same time. So I equate that swim start to kind of like a koi pond. So if you ever seen a koi pond when it's feeding time, they're just flopping all over each other. And yeah. So that's the swim start of a triathlon in a lot of cases. Oh, it sounds, and, that's like my worst nightmare. <laughs> yeah. I'm not a great it's, swimmer. <laughs> I, I wasn't at, I wasn't at the beginning either, but I got kicked really hard in the leg uh, at the beginning of this. I was probably a hundred meters into the swim and I reached down uh, to my ankle and my timing chip was gone. Oh no. So I was, this was going to be about a two and a half hour race. And my race was over as far as any awards or anything are concerned. So I, this was new territory for me. And let me tell you, after that, my timing chip had probably four safety pins in it because that was never going to happen again. Yeah. But I had to sit in that failure and I had to decide, okay, this was a failure. What can I learn from it? And so I learned, I learned a powerful lesson that we are going to fail in life. And I had the choice right then to get out when I got done with the swim to just get out of the water. And that was it. That would have been my race. No, I wasn't going to do that. I certainly wasn't going to do that racing for a medal or not. It really didn't matter. I was going to finish the race. And so the perseverance uh, is huge after we fail. We have to keep moving. Failure is inevitable. And some of the best breakthroughs that have ever happened have happened on the heels of a failure. So if we don't have the failure, oftentimes we're not going to have the breakthrough. We're just not going to have these easy lives that I think deep down we'd kind of like to have Mm -hmm. because we have to go through those different adversities to make us stronger. Yeah, And it wasn't the only time that I got a DNF in a triathlon. Another time I had an equipment problem that I couldn't do anything about. But I think what says the most about us, uh, one of the most powerful things about us is what we do in the face of failure. How do we get back up? How do we get better? I got better at a lot of things in life because I, because of that failure in that race. I learned to not give up. I learned that perseverance is the way to go. And I also learned to encourage other people that I've seen in similar failures that this isn't the end of the road. This is going to lead to a better thing. And the redemption that could come from this could be way more powerful than had it not happened. 100%. If you're not failing enough, you're just not going to have that quick runway or as quick of a runway to get where you want to go. 
at the end of yeah. the day, when we learn through our failures, when we learn to persevere through our failures, like you did on those two occasions with things that were totally outside of your control. Like, I mean, people could get very upset over something like that because of the fact that you had no control over the situation whatsoever. So to keep going and learn, okay, I'm going to pin up my, my ankle break bracelet or whatever it is a little bit better next time. I'm going to make sure that maybe I give myself a little bit more room in the start, even if that means a slower start, that's going to keep me going and, and keep me away from the crowd where I might potentially have some issues. So yeah, I love that. And, and I, and I would like to say that I handled it really well. Yeah, I did not. Well, I'm I sure was not very fun off. to be around. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how I could was, you not be? Yeah, exactly. So it sounds like you're at least in this season of life, big into self-care with that 30 minute of quiet practice that you went through during COVID, the journaling that you did during that time. Can you share some self-care practices that you prescribed to yourself and, and how they help you? Yeah, absolutely. I'm becoming more of a fan of self-care all the time. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I, yeah, it's it's crazy. And and the fact that you're realizing that where you're at in your life, I mean, it it, it is going to help your trajectory so much. I think we feel like we can't be selfish. But the reality is, if we don't have anything to give, we can't give anything. So we have to take care of ourselves. We have to get filled back up so that we can help other people, so that we can live a life of impact. Because I believe that everything that we do is about impact. We either impact our companies, we impact those around us, we impact ourselves by the habits and the things that that we do. So for me, a couple of things that I love, I live, I'm super spoiled. I live two miles away from my workplace, which is amazing. So more days than not, I walk to work. So, and in walking to work, I spend that time either praying or being quiet or listening to music. Uh, probably my my favorite is just to be a quiet observer of what's going on around me. I'm finding more and more time to do that all the time. I think with our devices, what's happened is we have lost almost all quiet space in our lives. Used to be if you'd go to the grocery store and you had to wait in line for a checkout, this is back when people used to actually check you out at the grocery store with your stuff. Uh, you'd actually have to wait in line and either you had a conversation with someone or you were just quiet and waited in line. Or if you came to a stoplight or traffic light, you would just kind of look around. Maybe you were listening to music, but now everything is an excuse for us to pull out our phones and lose that little bit of quiet space that we had. So I think I don't know how you feel about this, but I think that in our current climate, if we don't find chances for our brain to idle, and if we are not in good quality relationships with other people, I think we're we're open for harm. I think we're going to be in a tough place. No, so, yeah. So those are a couple of my my big ones, just finding any opportunity I, I can to be quiet and then paying attention to my sleep routine paying attention to my nutrition, uh, paying attention to any habits that I can have that set me up for success. Uh, just th simple, simple things like laying your clothes out the night before. So when you get up in the morning, you don't have to think about that. One last decision. Uh, 
Yeah, yeah, because decision fatigue is a real thing. And if we can minimize those those decisions, that's that's a great thing. So I'd say those are a couple of the big ones that I really try to work on. Yeah, the quiet piece is something that I just had a realization about recently. I've always been someone that I love people watching. I love walking and just thinking and listening and seeing what's going on around me. But over the last couple of years, I've gotten really into podcasts. I love podcasts. I learned so much from so many different people through podcasts. So whenever I'm running, walking, in the car, whatever, I tend to be listening to a podcast. But I've also had this realization lately where I'm like, oh, wait, I also enjoy running with no sound to just be introspective and like take in the beauty around me and just be quiet. So I, I've started doing that at least once a week. I run a couple of times a week. So having one run where I just leave the phone at home, leave my my headphones at home and just go out and run. And I found that to be a very meditative practice. And I think it's just because I had deprived myself of it from for so long that it's it's just a lot more profound now. Yeah. But everything that you said, I prescribe to sleep has been a big focus of mine, just realizing how little things can have a huge impact on the quality of my sleep screen time before bed, one alcoholic beverage a little too late in the evening, it can all just, you know, derail the quality of your sleep. Is there anything that you're doing to to improve the quality of your sleep or get more of it? Yeah, I would say one of the biggest things for me is is just having the Garmin watch that I have. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, does yours have the body battery feature on it? Yeah, it does. It's really interesting but, to follow. Yeah, to me, that's one of the most amazing things in the world. So I really started saying, okay, I have this technology. Now, how can I use it? So uh, if I have an alcoholic drink after eight o'clock at night, I can almost guarantee that I am going to have minimal deep sleep. Yeah. Like I will look at my sleep the next day and I will be really short on deep sleep. And if I lay in bed with my phone, then I know the whole night is going to be shot. So I kind of think in terms of, all right, what is my wind down routine before, before I go to sleep? And in an ideal world, it would be about an hour of unstimulated time before I go to sleep. So not looking at my phone and not looking at screens and probably two hours without, without an alcoholic drink. So I really try to do those things. Uh, As far as sleep hygiene, try to sleep at a consistent temperature every night, try to have our room be as dark as possible. Um, but that body battery thing, boy, I think we could probably talk the whole hour about that. I'm amazed when I look at that thing and I think, boy, I'm, I'm just feeling a little sluggish. Yeah. I look on there and that number, which for, for those who don't have it, it gives you a number between one and a hundred in real time of where it kind of thinks your energy reserves are for the day based on sleep the night before, based on activity, all of those kind of things. But when I'm feeling sluggish, usually that number is pretty low. Yeah. I've found it to be 90% of the time accurate. If I'm feeling sluggish and I look at it, my body battery is low, <laughs> very low. Yeah. And the yeah. sleep score. I, I also 
pay very close attention to that because especially with alcohol, like if I have more than one drink after 5 p.m., it is very hard for me to get a sleep score above 60, whereas my normal would be like 89 to 93. And that's a zero to 100 scale based on deep sleep, REM, just the amount of time spent asleep versus awake, kind of tossing and turning, all that stuff. And so same as you, just paying attention to that, noticing the two biggest things being alcohol and screen time before bed, limiting those has had a profound impact on the quality of my sleep and the energy I have the following day. Yeah, absolutely. And I know you've noticed this. What's what's difficult for me is I can take the numbers that I get from my watch. I have to be really careful because I can take those as basically gospel truth. Mm-hmm. So I can say, yeah. oh boy, <laughs> you know, I'm starting out. I My sleep score was 60 last night and my body battery says 70 to start the day. It's um, going to be a tough day. <laughs> uh, it's going to be a crappy day. Yeah. No, it's not. No. We're high achievers. We can get through the day. There's no reason we can't get through the day. However, if there is a mountain level decision that has to be made and we don't feel like we're fully there, it might be a day to kick that down. It might be a time to kick that down the road a day. But even more importantly than that, I know I need to have a good routine that evening. I yeah. need to try to maybe get a little more quiet during the day. I need to maybe try to, maybe at lunch, instead of trying to get caught up on work, sitting at my computer, maybe I lay on the couch in my office, even for 15 or 20 minutes and just close my eyes and see if I can recharge a little bit. Yeah, I think the biggest takeaway there for anybody that wants to improve the quality of their sleep, just improve their energy levels, having a tool, whether it's a Garmin watch or I mean, an aura ring, there's so many different wearable pieces of tech now that you can use, but finding something and actually starting to pay attention to those specific things that we talked about. And there's of course, many other factors that can contribute to the quality of your sleep and your energy levels, but just starting to pay attention to it and not taking it as gospel, like you said, and you know, just writing off a day if, if you make a mistake. But for me, it's helped me not only get better sleep and have more energy, but like cut back on some bad habits, like having an alcoholic beverage too yeah. late in the evening on a weekday, you know, <laughs> which I yeah. did last night because we just happened to be out and about and ran into a buddy. And, you know, of course he was like, come join us. And we had a glass of wine and chatted and sometimes it's worth it, but definitely looking it- at my watch this morning, I was like, yep. All right. That one definitely had an impact too. So yeah. And, and those are, those are tough ones. And you know, this too, because catching up with your buddy was super life-giving, right? Oh yeah. And oh, yeah. you, you lifted him up, he lifted you up. Um, but it's all a learning thing, a learning process. And I think we don't give self-awareness nearly enough time in our lives to understand where we're at and where we want to go. If, if you have a day where you're you're, and if you don't have the body battery, no worries. Just figure out where you're at. Know where you're at. Like I'm, I'm a four on a one to ten scale today. I don't like that I'm a four, but I'm a four, and I have to understand that. But what can I do to maybe get to a six tomorrow, or what can I maybe do to get to a seven in a couple of days? What are a couple 
maybe small but significant things that I can do to move the needle, to get me a little bit better towards the best version of myself. Or we can just say, man, I'm a two today. This sucks. I just, today's just going to suck. And nothing good happens from that. No, it doesn't. So in that pursuit of being the best version of yourself, can you share a goal that you're currently working towards and maybe some steps that you're taking to reach it just to give people a sense of like how you think about achieving goals? Yeah. So I'm in the, in the process of writing uh, a second book uh, and it's a book about self-care. So I'm super excited about it. I think you can hear the, hear the passion as I, as I talk about it, but I've written it through one time and my goal is to have it ready to be edited by the end of September. So that's my goal. So basically what I'm doing is working backwards from that. So I am about halfway through my, my rewrite and, and adding some things in, uh, I'm doing an event next week and I'm looking forward to getting a little bit of feedback to see if there's some, some holes that I need to fill in, in it. But I, to have that end of September date, um, you know, if it doesn't get done, the world's not going to fall apart. It's definitely not, but it's figuring out what is, what's, what's my 1% step that I need every day to get closer to, Mm -hmm. to getting that done. I, I have some goals for, uh, for, some coaching clients that I'm working to onboard and some stuff like that. But I would say the biggest goal I have right now uh, is, is that book goal. And then in our, as far as professionally, my, uh, my business partner and I are working on implementing uh, some traction concepts in our practice. So just meeting on a regular basis and trying to work through some of those things. So on that second one, because with a book launch, you have a date that's set. So it's very linear to work backwards and, and know the steps that you need to take. For something that's a little more ambiguous, how do you approach A, setting the goal and then knowing what needs to happen in order to achieve it? Yeah, yeah. So I think what, one thing that's super important, and I, I'm, a, I'm a big John Acuff fan. I'm not sure if you're familiar with his work with goals. But he talks about goals being specific, measurable. Okay, I am familiar then. Yeah. Attainable. <laughs> yeah. So I think there's a super there's a big danger in setting goals that aren't attainable, uh, and there's a danger in setting goals that aren't specific. You know, weight loss goals are super common. Yeah. I want to lose weight. That's a desire, not a goal. <laughs> I want to lose ten pounds as a goal. Okay, so I want to lose ten pounds. Um, what, what does it look like for that? But some of those more, uh, ambiguous goals, like goals to get in shape or as we're trying to implement this book in, in the office. So what we decided to do is for the first chapter, we said, all right, we're going to meet in two weeks and we're going to discuss that. So we're not necessarily trying to figure out when the finish line is going to be. It's what's the first step that we need to, we need to bite off. Okay, first step we need to bite off is this chapter. Here's when we're going to discuss it. So basically setting ourselves, not setting ourselves up for failure and saying, okay, in this goal that's kind of out there, what's the next step? And then what's a reasonable timeline for the next step? And then 
what are a few waypoints along the way where we can actually celebrate progress a little bit along the way? Because I don't think we do that very well. Yeah. Smart. I don't know if you've, if you've found that, but if the only celebration is when we cross the finish line, what if we don't cross the finish line? It's all disappointment, right? But, but look we, how much you were achieved to get even close to the finish line, how much you learned, whatever the goal may be. There's probably a ton of other accessory benefits that, that happened along the way. Exactly. So I like breaking it into manageable chunks, chunks that you know you can do because we need a win. Yeah. And when we get that win, it feels good. It gives us momentum. Then we're on to the next step. And so you can take this thing that's kind of out there and you can you can break it into manageable chunks. Yeah, it's a great practice. And I think you hit the nail on the head. Like I asked about amb ambiguous goals, but really if you if you think your goal is ambiguous, then you need to go back to the S, the specific, and you need to get more go deeper and find that specific goal. And then from there, it's much easier to follow the rest yeah. of the steps. And that's crazy. When I'm talking to coaching clients, I'll have them tell me what their goals are. And then I'll ask them how successful they've been at achieving their goals. And the people have not been as successful at achieving their goals. It's because they haven't defined for the most part, it's either their goals aren't attainable or they haven't really specified their goals in a language that they can understand, oh, this is actually what I'm after. So you're an adventurous guy. You're in a definitely the definition of an adventurous entrepreneur. Do you have any rules or, or habits or practices that enable you to create more adventure in your life? And probably more specifically, like with your family, with your friends, doing the things that you love to do with the people that you care about most? Yeah, that's been that's been a pivot for me. So I I used to be uh, pretty selfish in my pursuits, mm -hmm. so I went all the way up to Ironman distance and uh, triathlon, and that was that was about twenty to twenty four hours a week of training when I was at peak training. Wow, it's hard to be uh, a dentist and a husband and a father. And I was serving on a couple boards and that was when I started to buy my practice and, and all of that. So I just, I got so thin with all of that. So I started to, the pursuits that I, that I do now, I try to do more things that involve my family if I can at all. So uh, taking vacations to Utah and what I love about when my family has been able to go out there is I can get up early and go get a mountain bike ride in or go get a hike in. And then I come back and then they join me and we go do something else, which is fantastic. So figuring out how I can still fulfill that, that exercise, those exercise goals, those adventure goals, but be able to bring more people along with me. Yeah. And so uh, one other thing that uh, that has been really cool about that is that uh, I do have my pilot's license. I got it uh, in 2018. So I, I love to fly. Another thing we did during COVID was uh, I would just take my my kids up for flights. And, and one day we uh, I was I was up to here with webinars and learning all the new infection control and all the stuff we were going to have to know when our practices open back up. And so I said to my youngest son, I said, Hey, Jace, you want to go, uh, want to go do some flying? And he's like, yeah. I said, well, why don't we really plan out a trip? So that day we went 
and we flew for about three and a half hours and we hit 13 airports in Southwest Iowa. Wow. <laughs> we'd take off from one. He'd punch up the coordinates on the iPad for the next one. We'd kind of work together. Then I'd, I'd land the plane and we'd take off again. He'd punch in the next coordinates. And actually he told me from that is where uh, it lit a fire for him to become a pilot as a profession. So so he cool. now has his pilot's license and he is headed off to school in two weeks to uh, to become a pilot. So it's uh, it's pretty darn exciting. And the fulfillment of having adventures with those who are important to you is off the charts. That's everything to me. And I think that's a good place for us to to segue. I teed this up before we started, but. I have a choose your own adventure question for you. So you can pick which one you'd like or, or both if you so desire. But what's a favorite place you visited in the past five years with your family or anyone for that matter, or just a recent adventure that you went on in, e in either case? Like, what was it like? What made it so memorable? Maybe a, a favorite meal or drink you had or a lesson you learned. Give us a story there. Yeah. So, you know, it's and maybe it's because I'm getting older and getting a little bit more sentimental about this, but my, my family is just, is just everything to me. And so uh, I'll actually go back a little bit. So the four of us were supposed to go on a mission trip to Haiti. So I'm part of a, I'm on a board that uh, does mission work in Haiti and we were going to go down there and Two weeks before there had been, and, and now this has been several years ago, but but Haiti is a is a rough place right now. So no chance to be able to get in there now. But two weeks before there was some government unrest. And so they had to they had to cancel our trip. And this was going to be over spring break. And so we were stuck. This was uh, uh my oldest son was he was getting close to graduating, and so I was pretty overwhelmed by all this. So he said, okay. How are we going to make this a good thing? So we we started looking around. Uh, you know, when you're planning to go to the Caribbean, you sure want to go to the Caribbean. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like we so, need to go tropical. <laughs> but spring break, everything is so booked up. So we got super fortunate. And with two weeks to spare, we were able to find a place in Turks and Caicos. Nice. And oh, my goodness. That place is so beautiful. And we just got we were able to get a room right on the water. And we had the most amazing time just on the beach, uh, eating lobster and different stuff like that. I unfortunately found out that my kids love lobster. Um, <laughs> so it was expensive for yeah, sure. Yeah. But it expensive was one delicacy. of those one of those trips that we were able to take together. We snorkeled, we walked on the beach, we did all that stuff, and we were just fully present to each other. And still today we've gone some other places but we talk about that and and my boys are both like it's kind of hard to beat turks yeah and i think it was maybe that time when we really realized the importance of family and and doing adventures together yeah what a blessing i mean kind of a, a blessing in disguise you had that plan to go on the mission trip which i'm sure would have been amazing and impactful but maybe at that moment what you really needed was that time just to be with the family and to really, mm -hmm. yeah, have yeah. those adventures together. So I yeah. love stories like that. Yeah, and it's a good place for us to wrap it up. So, do you have any any ask, challenge, parting advice for for people listening? Yeah, you know, everybody, 
everybody goes through tough seasons in life. Yes, sir. And I think one of the biggest parts of going through a tough season in life is admitting that we're there, not trying to just put on a face and, and get through it. So I've went through seasons of burnout, three distinct seasons of burnout. And so one of the things I did, because I want to give people a, a hand up to work for that, is I created a knockback burnout challenge, just series of five emails that come to your inbox, totally free, no obligation. But I offer that on my website. And I think it's a good place to start. It's a good place to say, hey, I'm, there's a couple things missing. I don't feel like myself. I'm maybe feeling a little bit burned out. Um, it's a good place to start. So uh, that's available through my website. Um, so I'd, I'd love to have people check that out if they want to want to see how that goes. And then, you know, if that, if that ends up being something that really resonates with people, I'm more than happy to have a, a coaching call to see if we might be a good fit to work together, but everything starts with self-care and self-awareness. And so if you're not paying attention to that, I think you're, I think you're really exposed and at risk for some bad things to happen. Yeah. Got to take care of ourselves. That's priority yep. number one ourselves and then the people around us. So we're definitely going to drop the link to the knockback burnout challenge in the show notes. Where's the best place for people to connect with you? Links to socials, anything like that? Yeah. So the easiest place is just to go to my website. So on the front page at the bottom, it's got a link links to my LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, all that kind of stuff. And all on the website, there's stuff about my speaking and coaching and books and all kinds of stuff like that. So that's kind of home base for me. Perfect. We'll make it very easy for people to find you, put links to everything in the show notes. And Eric, thank you. This has been a, a wonderful conversation. I would love to get together in person sometimes. I think we're, we're definitely people that could vibe well together and, and have some fun adventures. So thank you for your time. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, TJ. That'd be great. Thanks for having me. To all of our adventurous listeners, thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Please be sure to subscribe, download, and share this on social media or with someone you know will get some value from it. Leaving a review goes a long way in helping people find the show. And I personally appreciate reading them when they come in. So please go drop one if you have the time. We'll see you all next week. And remember, whether we're talking about business or the things that bring us joy outside of work, life is meant for exploring. So go out there and live it one adventure at a time.